All right, it's time to go to school. So what's the, what's the whole message that uh, Jesus brought? I, I want to wrap it up this morning in uh, the space of maybe, I'm about to pull my microphone off by putting my phone in my pocket. Here we go. Um, what, what, what does the whole thing encompass so that we can see the big picture? Because there's a few holes that I think are, are missing in, in what happens today in terms of the culture that we live in and how we have sort of processed this idea of God leaving heaven, coming to earth, living and dying and, and, and rising again. Um, but before we do, um, I need you to to uh, enter my fear this morning. Uh, when I was in the first grade at a Halloween party, I drew a cat on a sheet of paper, construction paper. My dear mother, Juanita Jean Sivright Moran, who died when I was 26, maybe you've heard the tragic story of her dying one night um, of a, a rare blood disease, so my dear mother held up my picture of a cat. And I'm not sure if she made fun of me or if she pointed out it looked more like an elephant than it did a cat. And everyone had a good laugh because of me. So anytime I pick up an instrument to draw, it's a moment of fear for me. Now today I'm just going to draw circles. So I think I'm okay. Uh, but, but drawing is always fearful for me in, in this process. Uh, just like what I'm about to say might be fearful for you. Uh, because today I, I want to ask the question or pose the idea that all of us are on a spiritual journey. It, it doesn't matter your neighbor who's home asleep in bed or just getting back from some you know, thing last night where they're really not with all their wits about them, or your family member who, who is so anti what you're doing in terms of your spiritual, everyone is on a spectrum of a spiritual journey. It, it's just a matter of what that spiritual journey is forming you into. And today, uh, I, I'm going to talk about one particular aspect of a spiritual journey. It's a journey that takes us on a, a relationship with a creator God who wants us to be a family member, who wants us to be a son or daughter in their family, a creator God. But unfortunately, in our culture, in our world, um, there's sort of a um, two-path, or at least moving from one place to another in that understanding of, of that story. Most of us start out sort of in a transactional way. It's, it's kind of an external thing. I come to things that are religious. I do things that are religious. And I, I feel like I'm fulfilling or doing things um, so that I might feel better about myself because I don't always feel that good about myself. And so these external acts of, of kindness and goodness and and graciousness and all that kind of stuff are, are things that, that, that sort of heal me inside in some ways. But I have to keep doing them. 
It's, it's like a treadmill. It never gets off because I can never get enough. And so many of us are on that kind of spiritual journey, and it's a transactional spiritual journey. Now, what we observe on that screen in the, in the Chosen is, is a group of men who are on a journey from being transactional with Jesus to being transformed by Jesus. They, they literally ha, ha, are having their lives turned upside down, inside out, by this guy who just says some of the most bizarre things. And it's made him both popular and unpopular in the culture. And he came, he came proclaiming something. He says, I, I come proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near. And there are all kinds of little tidbits about what that means as we open the pages of the Bible and begin to see when they ask the him, teach us to pray. You, you communicate with this God in heaven as if he's your father. Teach us to do that. Can, can we have that same kind of, of discussion with our father that you have? And so he gives them this model prayer in Matthew 6. Our father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name. I don't even know what that word hallowed means. You know, it's like, that's a really, holy, you're set apart. That's what it means. But we all memorize it for those of us who sort of are church broke. We grew up you know, memorizing those kind of words. Hallowed be thy name. And then that phrase, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. That was the kingdom of heaven being near, that, that the qualities of heaven, the kinds of things that are going on in heaven, the peace and the justice, the kindness, the goodness, the, the kinds of things that abide in heaven could abide in earth. And he's asking us to pray toward that. But the reality is, is things aren't quite on earth as they are in heaven right now, are they? In fact, uh, some of us uh, might think that it's never been worse uh, in, in, in life. If we think about what is, what is going on in this world, um, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's, you know, there's the economic strife, there's the, the political strife. Uh, most of you aren't aware of the fact that, for instance, in India right now, I could show you on my phone... Um, I daily get pictures of people being killed for their belief in Jesus. I mean, brutal murders happening around the world. But, but not just that, the, the tribal warfare, the, the political tribal warfare that we exist in, the families that have been broken apart just because one family sits on a blue side and another family sits on a red side. The kind of distrust and anger the, the kinds of withdrawing into loneliness or into isolation because we're not sure that we can even enter into a discussion with someone in a civil way because if we step on a landmine that gets emotional, it breaks relationships. And so we have this world that's all messed up all over the place. It just is crazy, crazy, crazy. And, and we, we discover that, that, that we live in a world that's been damaged by evil. 
but it's not just evil itself. I mean, we, we find ourselves right here. You know, don't laugh, don't laugh. I'm drawing a person there. Um, we, we, we find ourselves even struggling. And, and, and it's not just our, our relationship with, with God that, that's a, a problem. It, it's our relationship with one another that's a problem as well. And, and we struggle with, with that kind of discord and dissonance that exists in our life all the time. But, you know, just like um, the fact that you feel thirsty that helps you understand there's water to, to quench that thirst, just like you feel hunger and there's food to quench that. This sense of uneasiness, this sense of a lack of peace, sort of helps us kind of see that, that it wasn't meant to be. We really weren't made for this kind of, of dissonance in life, this kind of discord. In fact, that's where when we read the Bible, we understand that Actually, we were created for good. That, that, that there's a God, a creator God who started this world. That, that began, that gave the complexity and, and, and the balanced complexity that exists in our world and the universe. There's a God who began that. And, and that design that seems so apparent in the scientific world, that design of the fact that things teeter on, on a very delicate balance, that it would have been very difficult for all of these factors to come together without some kind of purposeful designer behind it. And God created us for good. He, he created us to have this sense of what we long for inside. That sense that you know that there's another person that, that you, you want to be, you feel like you should be, that you could be. There's this, there's this path to a place of the real you. Of, of the you that really no one sees and no one understands. But the problem is, as, as we begin to draw this out, you can tell my drawing skills aren't good. I don't balance well, do I? So God decided to do something about the evil. He, he, he decided to enter this world and to deal with the evil and the damage that was done. The, the damage that was created both by you and I and to you and I. And he decided to do something about that. So Jesus came so that we might be restored for good. That we, we might get back to this process. But, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a problem. When I think about the disciples and what they had to go through from a transactional relationship with Jesus to a transformational relationship with Jesus, a lot of us attempt to do this. We think that this is the pathway. We, we just want to get to that 
place where we're restored for good. But Jesus is very clear that that pathway cannot happen without this. You see, unless we come to a recognition and acknowledge the fact that, that we've been damaged by evil, we are damaged by evil, and we damage by our own evil. It's difficult to get here because this is the transactional path to a spiritual life. It, it's just a, a set of do's and don'ts. It's a set of rituals. It's a set of things that I'm constantly attempting to clean myself with. I'm trying to wash it off because it always comes back. It's like a, a, a never-ending relative that you, you don't like to see, but they always show up at those family reunions, right? You know that one. It's like, oh. It's what happens to our own habits, our own thinking, our own, uh, our, our own way of doing things. It, it, we, we struggle to get out of the habits that get created in our lives. And so un unless we come to a full understanding, that's why when Jesus is being quoted by John. He says, to as many as trusted him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, that, that idea of trust, acting as if it's true, is really important to understand. You can't get here without going through here. But the beauty of what we're talking about today is really this circle here. What we're talking about is that Jesus came. He gathered a group of ordinary people to himself. And I hope you caught that on the video. I mean, we're talking genuinely ordinary people. Fishermen. In fact, if, uh, you know, Justin stood up here and said, hey, would you host or facilitate a, a chosen group? And <clears throat> you're thinking, like, what kind of people are going to come to my, my house if I host one of those? Well, Jesus hosted a group, and he got Matthew. Matthew's like a, he was called a tax collector, so he's a, a trader Jew, all right? He, he's a Jew, but he works for the Romans, and he extorts money out of his fellow countrymen with the power of the Romans, and he gets more than he really should so he can pay himself. So he, he's a traitor to his own people. Now there's another guy, you saw him there on the screen a few minutes ago when he said, I want to kill him. That was Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was a terrorist. He was a loyalist Jewish terrorist who was attempting to overthrow the Roman control of the Jews. And so they would roam in the... Uh, the marketplaces with under their tunics with knives and, and they would come up on Roman soldiers and, and the Roman soldiers were clad in this amazing armor and they knew just how to slip a blade through that armor to be able to do injury to that Roman soldier in the marketplace all crowded all these people it's one of the reasons the Roman soldiers didn't want to go to the marketplace and they were just always attempting to, it, it, they didn't have a hand grenade, but it was if roll a hand grenade into a group of Roman soldiers and blow them up. That's how much they hated them. So Jesus says, come on into my small group. <laughs> come on in. 
Those are the kinds of tensions he dealt with. But he had a bunch of fishermen. He had a bunch of, he had a tax collector. He had a terrorist. Just a bunch of normal, average, everyday people who were unqualified to do anything spiritually. But Jesus was the one who sent these people to heal. He sent them with a message, their own message, really, a, a, a message of ordinary people helping other ordinary people understand what's going on. You know, for unfortunate circumstances over the history of what we call the church or these followers of Jesus is the fact that it's been professionalized. And things like this happen every Sunday. Someone who's supposedly qualified, I say that very clearly because if you look really closely, you might discover I'm not as qualified as you might think. But someone who's supposedly qualified stands up and speaks to those who are unqualified and tries to get them to think of themselves as qualified. Well, that's what Jesus was doing in that, around the table at Simon's house with all of these ordinary people because that was his plan, that ordinary people would do extraordinary things. How? By simply sharing their own story. By simply telling people what's happened to them. But here's the problem. If we find ourselves in this transactional mode with Jesus, it's really difficult to have a story to tell. You know, Jesus is an activity that we do, not a relationship that we have. Jesus is, is something that happens in my mind and never happens in my internal world. That's a transactional relationship. And that transactional relationship leaves us with nothing to pass on to people. We're just good people. We do the right things because we're supposed to. We don't do the right things because we want to. And so the key that these men will discover over time is, is the fact that they do these things because they learn to love Jesus who he is, what he's done for them, what he wants them to do, and how life is found not in keeping it, but in giving it away. In fact, Jesus uh, sort of overwhelms them with this idea that the, the greatest spiritual growth that comes in a person's life is not found in learning, but in trying to help other people learn. Trying to share your story, it clarifies what's going on in your life, what's happening with you. The generosity that God had of giving us Jesus, the generosity that Jesus had of giving his life to us, the generosity that God calls us to is the secret sauce to spiritual growth. And many of us find ourselves in this transactional mode and, and we struggle with our own spiritual journey and all of this spiritual truth that swirls around us because we've yet to be transformed by the fact that we, we can't trust Jesus that I have anything to give away. 
You see, Jesus is really not interested in what you have. Let's, let's, just, let's just say it like it is. Every one of us just brings very little to the table. I know you're talented. I know you've got great gifts and abilities and all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, is that no one cares about that. It's when the story of God leaving heaven coming to earth begins to impact us. And so it affects how I treat my spouse. It affects how I look at work. It affects how I treat my kids. It affects the investments I'm making with my resources. It infects every piece of my life. It is not just a transaction that happens a couple of times a week when I pay homage to the Creator God. It starts to take a foothold in a mystical way. I can't think of a better way to, to demonstrate this message than to show another clip from, from The Chosen. It's uh, after this moment at the table, um, one of the disciples comes up to Jesus and, and has this interaction. And he's asking many of the same questions that you and I ask about, look, I'm not qualified, I'm not certified, I'm, you know, I don't have this or that kind of stuff. And so let's just take a look at little James and his uh, interaction with Jesus. Master. Little James. May I have a moment? Of course. I am. Forgive me, I'm uh, not always confident to speak. Slow to speak. It's a very good quality. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question. Please? You're sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that, that is what you said. Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal. <laughs> Forgive me, I just find that difficult to imagine with my condition, which you haven't healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes, of course, if, if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. Then why haven't you? Because I trust you. What? Little James. Precious little James, I need you to listen to me very carefully because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? In the Father's will, I could heal you right now. And you'd have a good story to tell, yes? that you do miracles. And that's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more, even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't heal you. 
to know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with? Hmm? Not many. But the others, they're so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Song of David, that I fearfully and wonderfully made. But it doesn't make this any easier. And in this group, it doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden. A burden? First of all, it is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper. Trust me. Are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. But these are things the Father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me. Or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in Heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you pass from this earth and you meet your Father in heaven, where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer, your reward will be great. So hold on a little longer. And when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness, and when you do great things in my name, in spite of this, the impact will last for generations. Do you understand? Yes. Thank you, Master. A man like you, healing others. Oh, what a sight. I can't wait to hear your stories when you return. Shalom, my son. Shalom. And James. Remember. You will be healed. It's only a matter of time.
Can you feel James's uh, hypocrisy? I'm a person who hasn't been healed, and I'm telling people how Jesus can transform their lives. Uh, he's an ordinary guy. Uh, James the Less is really all we know about him. Um, he was one of the disciples, and he was there on that last moment when Jesus met his disciples. Uh, Jesus was crucified and resurrected, and and he said, look, meet me on a mountain. We're not sure exactly where that mountain was. Um, if you've been to Israel before, you know that uh, there, there's a mountain in the north of Israel. It's really in Lebanon, Mount Hermon. Uh, it's a mountain, 9,000 feet, but there aren't that many mountains in, in the land of Israel and Palestine. So it's really on a, on, mainly on a hill. And so they met there, and Jesus gave them what's commonly referred to as the great Commission. That word doesn't appear in the Bible, but it is the mandate. It is for those of you who are Star Trekkies, you know, it's the prime directive. Uh, it is the number one initiative that Jesus wanted his followers to lean into, to, to, to obey, to trust what he said and do. It says this in verse 16 it says, They gathered, um, and Jesus shows up. And then all of a sudden, something happens. It says, some worshiped and some doubted. So immediately, we ha we've got a division here. We've got some doubters over here, and we've got some, you know, worshipers over here. And, you know, if I'm Jesus, I I've, I've spent, you know, the better part of almost two years with, with these folks, and I've tried to help them understand who I am and what God is doing in this world. They've seen me do miracles. They've seen me walk on water. They've seen all kinds of crazy things. And some are still doubting. If I'm Jesus, I'm pissed. I mean, I, I am, you know, it's like, what does it take? But what's interesting, when you read the passage, Matthew 28 Verses 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. All right? I'd love for you to go home and read it. Jesus doesn't hesitate. It doesn't matter that he has two types of people in front of him, worshipers and doubters. People who, who really believe in what Jesus is talking about, people who still are struggling. Self-doubt, Jesus' doubt, all kinds of stuff. Jesus displays this prime directive to all of them, despite their personal circumstances. He said, look, as you go, wherever you go, as you go, it was incumbent upon Jesus in, in, in the spirit that he was giving away that, that no one would ever think about not making disciples. As you go, make disciples a disciple is simply someone who's learning to obey all of Jesus' commands. That, that's the simplicity of what Jesus is saying. Look, what I did for you, you do for other people. Share your story. Let them in on your life. Do life with them. Let them see the impact that I have had on your life. Make disciples. And those disciples will be identified by two things. One is baptized this, this crazy kind of ceremonial ritual that we, it, we, people go under the water that demonstrates the kind of spiritual truth that's going on inside their lives. That they were alive and they were dead to themselves and now they're alive once again to Jesus. 
baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything. It's interesting, in John 7, 17, Jesus says, look, those who do what I say will discover that I am who I am. And so it's this idea, the small acts of trusting God that bring about a conviction in our soul that this whole crazy story about God leaving heaven, coming to earth, living and dying and rising in is actually a reality. Even though I can't touch and see and feel it, it's a reality. When I begin to trust, to act as if it's true. Jesus gives this commission to his disciples as if he gave it to you and I. As you go, help other people learn to follow Jesus. Baptize them. Help them discover what it's like to obey everything I've commanded. That's the commission that Jesus gave us. We've been sent to heal this world. Now, there's no doubt we do a lot of complaining about it, and we're frustrated with it, and all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, as at the core of people who claim to follow Jesus is a healing spirit. A spirit that brings love and justice to life that is so unloving and unjust. And we're going to finish this morning with an opportunity for you and I to kind of just enter into that spirit that was around that table when Jesus was talking with his disciples. And we have three stages or, or, or three places up in the auditorium and in, in the balcony there. There's, there's just one, but, but the traditional communion elements, and I'll describe those in a minute, but the two in the back of the auditorium, um, over here on my right, there's a, a list of words that might relate to what you might say to Jesus if you were James the Less telling him, Jesus, look, I, I, I get it, I know what you want me to do, but I'm just not qualified. There are things in my life, there are things restricting me, there are forces that are opposing me, there are things going on in my life that, that other people, if they see, they will discount the message. There's all kinds of stuff that disqualify me. And so over here, you have an opportunity to do one of two things. There's one blank chalkboard there, and there's some pens, and you can write on that chalkboard, and you can write that word, that person maybe, that whatever it is, you can write it. And then there are some little bitty white tablets in those bowls. Grab one of those and throw it in the water. And magic will happen. Because that little pill will become a towel. I don't know how it happens. Just mystical. <laughs> and, and you can erase that word you've just written. Or if you can't think of a word, you can look at the board that has, already has words written on it. And you can take one of those little tablets, throw it in the water, and you can erase one of the words that exist already on that board. But take a moment to sit and to contemplate what it is that keeps you from trusting Jesus to be a part of people who are following his great commission. What it is that keeps you from being sent to heal. 
What it is, it keeps you in that transactional mode and can't get out of that, into that transformational mode. What's holding you back? Just take an opportunity over there. Or on my left-hand side here uh, in the back is, um, looks like the cleaning team didn't show up today uh, because there's a bunch of garbage laying on the ground. And for some of us, there are things holding us back uh, that are of our own making. Paul, in Philippians 3, talks about his own pedigree. Paul wrote 13 of the books in the Bible in that second half. So, real big guy. Plays a huge part in the history of, of Jesus But Paul saw his pedigree as holding him back. He was a rabbi. Not only was he a rabbi, he was of the cream of the crop rabbis. He had followed the law. He had done all these kinds of things, all these religious activities that had gotten him to the top of the heap. And he counts that as rubbish, he says. He counts it as trash, as garbage. Because it got in his way. It got in his way of having a transformational relationship with Jesus. And maybe for you, there's some things like that. There are some, some things that you count as, as really good. You're depending on, you're trusting in that, that need to get out of the way. And so you can spend a little bit of time there reading that chalkboard and contemplating at those tables. Or just sitting on the floor, whatever you want to do. Feel free just to make that a moment. And then here and in the back and balcony and stuff, there's some communion elements. Jesus gave us one ritual, really two, baptism and, and, and this, just to say, look, I want you to remember what I did for you. The, the juice, the, the grape juice, the, the wine, the table wine that Jesus used that night represented his blood. And it represented a, a, a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. No longer did we have to have a transactional relationship with God. No longer do we have to fill our bucket full of good stuff and, and try to make God like us. Jesus says, that, that's, that's gone away. My death is sufficient. My blood will be spilled for you. I will die in your place. And so, as you come to this table there's both the wine or the grape juice and, and the bread. This represents Jesus' body that was broken. It was broken brutally for you and I. But it's not so much the brutality physically that Jesus experienced on that cross, but it was that separation between the father and son in that moment in history when, when God accepted Jesus' death as the final stroke of the debt that you and I owe to God being written off. We're now debt-free. And his body was broken for us. So, so as we come to this communion table, we could come in a transactional relationship with Jesus. We could come just sort of routinely taking uh, the bread and the wine as if it was just, you know, what we do re religiously. Or we could come in a transformational way. We could come expressing our deep gratitude that apart from Jesus, 
that you and I face a Christless eternity. Apart from Jesus, we, we do not have access to that kind of resurrection life that comes when we discover that Jesus does show up. He does things that we can't explain. He, he makes things in our world that just don't make sense because he's God who came in the flesh, that he lived and he died and he rose again. So let me pray. The band's going to come. They're going to sing a couple of songs, so you've got plenty of time here. They're going to sing a couple of songs, so feel free to move to either the back auditorium right or left or to any of the communion stations here at, at your will, and, and feel free to sit as well. Feel free just to enjoy the music, sing along with the band if you'd like. You don't have to move. Maybe this is a moment for, for you to just sort of let this thing sink in and say, look, I need to figure out how to move from transaction to transformation. I, I need to figure that out. And, and my decision today, my action today is to leave here dead set on figuring that out. I'm going to find a way to, f to figure out how to make that move from having a transactional relationship to a transformational relationship. Let me pray and the band will come. Father, thank you for Jesus, for his life, death, and resurrection. It is, um, it is a, a moment in history that we have a hard time getting back to and allowing it to impact not just our minds and thinking about the resurrection as being a historical fact, but, but thinking of what does it mean? And what does it mean to me? If Jesus really came back from the dead, how do I let that move from my head to my heart? How do I let that, how do I get a hold of what it means to, to have a transformational relationship with Jesus? Father, in these next few moments, as this music plays in this room. We want to make the air thin between heaven and earth. It's not about, not about anybody else but, but me and you. This is, this is a personal thing, Father. So meet each of us in, in ways we never thought possible. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.